Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm 103. That's our passage we'll be studying today. I'd like to read that for us. This is Psalm 103. The title says, Of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is God's word. Years ago, I had a, a next-door neighbor. He's since moved away, but he was a professor in the agronomy department at K-State. And uh, he had this little patch of grass right beside his driveway, and he could never get the grass to grow, and it bothered him. It just bothered him. And one day I saw him out there. He was watering that little patch of grass, and he, was, he looked downcast. And so I went over to talk to him, and he, he told me something to the effect of, he said, uh, I do research on plants. I know how to genetically engineer plants <laughs> so that they don't lose so much water to evaporation, but I can't grow grass. And it just bothered him. It just bothered him. You can relate, right? And that's the way it is, right? We're intelligent in some things. We're smart in some things, but not so much in other things. And that's, that's really fine. That's why we have different careers and different interests. But there are some things in which all of us need to be intelligent. For example, when it comes to relationships, we all need to be people smart. Since we all need healthy relationships, we all need to, to have relational intelligence. We need to know what works in relationships and what doesn't. And the Bible doesn't use the term relational intelligence, but it, it talks a lot 
about how to be wise in relationships so that we have healthy relationships. And one of the things that the Bible stresses that if you want a healthy relationship with someone, you need to really pay attention to them. You need to understand them. And so the Bible tells us things like be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The Bible tells us that we need to consider other people's interests, not merely our own interests. If all you care about is yourself, it's going to be disastrous in relationships. Uh, The Bible tells us to speak words that meet the need of the moment. That requires a lot of focus, a lot of concentration. You have to try. It's hard to know what is the need of the moment. Husbands are told, live with your wives according to understanding. You understand your wife and you tailor make your love accordingly. And so if we're going to be people smart, we have to pay very close attention to the other person. Nowhere is this more important than in our relationship with God. If we want a healthy relationship with God, if we want to be smart in our relationship with God, we have to pay very close attention to who God is, what he's committed to doing, what he expects of us, how we should respond And so we need to become skillful in knowing how to relate to him. If we're smart, we won't just say, we won't relate to God based on stereotypes or based on cliches, which are often wrong, like God helps those who help themselves, right? I think that's Benjamin Franklin or somebody, (laughs) not Jesus. And so we'll, we'll, we'll go to the word and we'll really understand who God is and how to respond. You know, as I studied Psalm 103 this week, it occurred to me that David was just off the charts relationally intelligent. He's urging himself. He tells himself, go to God, understand who he is, uh, understand his qualities, his steadfast love, and respond appropriately. So today we're going to look at Psalm 103. This, this, this Sunday marks uh, the beginning of week three of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And during this 21 days, we're looking at four different psalms which teach us how to experience God when our our life is tough. And that's relevant because our our lives are always tough in some way. And uh, each of these psalms draws from the experience of the children of Israel on their journey from slavery in Egypt uh, back to the promised land. We saw from Psalm 90 that since life is short and hard, we need to seek wisdom. We saw last week from Psalm 95 that uh, when life is hard, we need to worship. Today we're going to see from Psalm 103 that when life is hard, we need to remember. We need to remember. Remember the value, the benefits of a relationship with God and then respond accordingly. Before we dig into Psalm 103, I want to make two, two comments. First of all, because of the length of Psalm 103, I'm going to be selective in which verses I discuss. And so I apologize ahead of time if I'm not going to say anything about your favorite verse that you just heard, or if there's some verse that you're just so eager for me to get my take on it, what's he going to say about that verse? And I'm not even going to mention it. So I apologize. We good anyway? All right, good. Second, the structure of Psalm 103 is very obvious. The first line and the last line are the same. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So with those bookends, we know what the psalm is about, right? David is is explaining how we need to bless God, how we need to praise and worship the Lord. At the end of the psalm, David calls all of creation, both in heaven and on earth, 
to bless the Lord along with him. And so in the context of worship, David models something for us to imitate when our lives are hard. Namely, remember the benefits of knowing God. Remember the benefits of knowing God. And chances are you can think of something in your heart, in your life that is hard right now. Some loss that you have experienced, uh, some disappointment, uh, some grief, some fear, some anxiety that tends to well up within you. Keep that in mind as we, as we go through this psalm, because whatever it is, in the midst of whatever you're going through, uh, remember the benefits of knowing God. That'll be the point. So notice in verse 1 how David talks to himself. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And so David tells himself, he tells the deepest part of his being, my soul, he says, he tells himself to bless, to praise, to bring satisfaction to the heart of God. And just the, it's, it's that idea is staggering in and of itself that we could actually do that. What can I bring to God that would be a blessing to him? Well, David knows that if, if he's going to bless the Lord in that way, it can't be half-hearted. It can't be lukewarm. And so he says, everything within me, bless his holy name. He wants to love God with his whole heart. In verse 2, we learn the content of his praise to God. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all, forget not all his benefits. Isn't it interesting that he put it that way? He didn't put it the way I did in the heading. Remember, he said, forget not He's anticipating this, this tendency in the human heart to forget, to forget all the benefits of having a, a covenant with God. The tendency for all of us is to take our eyes off of, our, off of God and fix our eyes on ourselves. And instead of just being amazed at how good God is, we just become preoccupied with how hard our lives are, how difficult they are, how we wish things had gone differently. Last week we saw from Psalm 95 that even though God had done miraculous things for the children of Israel, they basically concluded, you know, there's no benefit. There's no advantage in knowing God. God is not a good shepherd who's going to lead us into the promised land. He's just led, about, led us out of Egypt where we had food at least. He's led us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. So they forgot all the benefits of, of knowing God. And the same thing sometimes happened to us. And when it does, like David here in Psalm 103, we need to confront ourselves. We need to talk to ourselves and say, Self, O oh my soul, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord whether you feel like it or not. Bless the Lord whether your circumstances are what you wish they were or not. We actually see this same thing happening in other psalms, in Psalm 42 and 43. Three times in those two psalms, we, we, hear, we have this verse. This is Psalm 42, 11. The psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so do you see how the psalmist confronts himself? He kind of... He he confronts himself, he questions himself, and he tells himself what to do. He doesn't listen to his self, meaning that part of him, this, his self, this turn away from God. He tells himself what to do. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, the British preacher from the last century, who wrote about this in his book, Spiritual Depression. I find this insightful. He says, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question, your, question yourself. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. And so that's what we see David, David doing. And I don't know if you are at all in the habit of being this aggressive with yourself. We tend to be very passive with ourselves, right? We say, well, this is how I feel, so I'm just going to go with it. Or this is how I'm thinking, so I'm just going to follow my thoughts wherever they go. But this is, if, if we want to forget not all the benefits of knowing God, we have to take ourselves in hand, kind of grab ourselves by the collar and talk to ourselves and, and tell ourselves what to do. We say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all the benefits of knowing God. And so now we ask the question, so what are the benefits of knowing God? Well, David's going to spend the next 17 verses rehearsing those benefits we're going to begin down in verse 7. So we're skipping some of those verses I had in mind earlier. But in verse 7, David makes reference to God revealing his ways, his acts to Moses and the people of Israel. He says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Think about all the miracles and the signs in Egypt. Think about the leading them through the Red Sea. Think about him giving the law. Think about him providing water and food in the desert. And so Moses, uh, God had revealed himself. He acted in power on behalf of his people. And then verse 8 is a very clear reference to uh, Exodus 34.8 or 34.6. And that we'll get to that in Wednesday's reading plan. We're going to skip some of those chapters in Exodus that describe the, some of the details of, of the, the temple. But in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passes before Moses and he revealed his name to him. And this descriptive name of God is repeated over and over in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But here it is. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So that term steadfast love, sometimes it's called loving kindness in the New American Standard. The, the NIV just simply translates it love. But it's often, often uh, commentators often point out that it's God's covenantal love. It's the type of love he has when he's in covenant with people. And in the Bible, a covenant defines a relationship between two parties. It kind of stipulates what the commitment is between those two parties. And, and, uh, God wants you to know that if you enter into a relationship with him, that he will be fiercely loyal to you. That's at the heart of steadfast love. It's not fickle. It's not maybe, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It is a fierce, loyal love that he has for you. And I'll describe it in the, the next verses. But when the Lord gave the law or the old covenant to Moses, he wanted them to know that he is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so if you remember the law, there are hundreds of commands that he gave. 
And it's very easy to misinterpret and to, to misrepresent commands when we hear them. And so God wanted them to know, he said, I'm not hot-headed. I'm, not, I'm, I'm slow to anger. I'm not grouchy. I'm not stingy. As a matter of fact, God's saying, I'm just, I'm more generous than you can fathom. And these commands I'm giving you, this law I'm giving you, it is for your good. It explains how you can, can take greatest advantage of your relationship with me. And so David told his soul to remember the benefits of being in relationship with a God like that. And if those living under the old covenant were urged to remember the steadfast love of the Lord, I say, how much more should we who are living under the new covenant forget not all the benefits of knowing God? And so they had animal sacrifices that would take away their sins temporarily. In the new covenant, we have the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ that takes away our sins permanently for all who put their faith in him. And so they experienced the steadfast love of the Lord in many ways. But Jesus said, greater love has no one than that that person would lay down their life for a friend. Jesus has shown us the greatest love by laying down his life for us. And so some of you are in this relationship with God, this, this new covenant through faith in Jesus. Others of you, no doubt, are considering a relationship like that. And what God wants you to know is that if you enter into that relationship, you believe the death and resurrection paid for your sins and then Jesus rose again to give you life, you need to know how God is going to treat you. He is going to be more generous to you than you can, can fathom. You are entering into a relationship with a God who by nature is merciful and gracious. By nature, he's slow to anger. By nature, he is abounding in loving kindness. And so this is his default. This is how he's going to treat you. And also on your best day, you don't deserve what God's go how God is going to treat you. This is just how he treats his people. The following verses explain this further. Verse 9, he will not always chide in the sense of accuse. And he has valid accusations he could bring against us. But he won't always do that. Nor will he keep his anger forever. And then verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I'm going to read verse 10 again. And as I do... In your heart of hearts, ask yourself the question, do I really believe that? Do I believe that the verse 10 is true? Is this really how God treats me? Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Can you imagine what your life would be like if God had a chart up in heaven on his wall and your name was at the top of it. You know where I'm going with this, right? Can you imagine what your life would be like if your name was at the top of it and there were two columns? One column is your sins. And they are listed one by one by one. Every single, you know what sins I'm talking about? The one you committed last night. The sins you committed last week or last month. All of them. And they're, they're listed. They're all listed out. And in chart two, they are, it says 
repayment. And God is going to repay you for every, every, it makes me nervous just describing this, repay you for every single one of your sins. Can you imagine what your life would be like? I can't, I can't fathom what my life would be like if that's how God treated me. The fact that he doesn't makes you want to tell yourself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not any of his benefits, because he does not repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't treat us the way we deserve. He is full of loving kindness towards those who know him. Now, you might be thinking, and again, not that there aren't any consequences for our sin, but even when we're being disciplined for our sin, God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, that sounds good, but you don't know what I've done, and you don't know how often I've done it. Well, I don't, but God does. And look at verse 11. His grace is greater than your sin. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. In other words, you cannot overstate how, how the, the magnitude of his fierce loyalty, loyalty to you. And he he says, this is for those, toward those who fear him. If you fear the Lord, you care more about what God thinks about you than anybody else does. We talked about it in Psalm 90, this fear of the Lord for those who know him. It's not this terrorized fear of punishment. No, it's more relational than that. We're in relationship with a God who is for us. He's demonstrated. He sent us one and only son. He's for us. And so when we fear a God like that, it's really this, this fear of grieving the one whose love for us is so fierce and so extravagant. And so given who God is and what God has done in Christ, fearing the Lord is only smart. It's relationally intelligent. You would even say you're not, you're not very smart if you don't care what God thinks about you, okay? He's the God of the universe. He's the ruler overall. Verse, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. Back in verse 3, David mentioned he forgives all our iniquities. And so if you've entered into the, the new covenant in Christ's blood through faith in Jesus, you cannot overstate how completely you have been separated from your sins. Your sins aren't even in the same hemisphere as you. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he, he's removed them. Verse 13 uses a common image found in both, both Testaments. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to the no, those who fear him. Now, of course, if you've had a, a difficult relationship with your father, that may not sound very reassuring. But, but uh, David is just uh, really appealing to the common experience of fathers, decent fathers doing everything they possibly can for their children. They would absolutely do anything they could for their children. And I hope we all know good fathers like that. God is like that, times a thousand. We'll finish with verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God never has unrealistic expectations of us. He's always mindful Those people, my people, were created from dust. One day they're going to return to dust. In between, they are dust. They're not superhumans. God knows that. And actually in the New Testament, we have this emphasis that because Jesus became one of us, God knows our weakness experientially. Okay? 
He was tempted in all things as we were, yet without sin. So we don't have to explain to Jesus that we are, we are weak and that we, 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 and the, the power of temptations in our lives. And so we have this assurance that he understands us. He knows, he knows how frail we are. And so if we're relationally intelligent, we'll take all of this into account and we'll actually believe that God treats us the way Psalm 103 describes. And so this week, you're going to experience difficulties. You're going to experience hardships. And I, I can't predict, you can't predict what will happen to you, the type of, of difficult things that will enter your life. You will probably have disappointments in relationship. Relationships, people disappoint us. You may have a wave of grief come over you seemingly out of nowhere or a wave of anxiety rise up within you. And when that happens, how will you respond? Will you forget? If you're trusting Jesus, will you forget that you're in relationship with, with a God who has this fierce loyalty to you? He wants to show you his faithfulness. Or will you remember? Will you forget not? And when you remember, what will you do? Will you take yourself in hand and say to yourself, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. And will you rehearse the things that David talked about? Will you believe that, that God really is as gracious to you as he says? You know, if we do that uh, over time, our minds will be renewed. And so this is not the kind of thing you, you try two days and on Wednesday conclude, well, that didn't work. No, this is something you try for a month or a year or five years. And eventually you find my relationship with God is so strong, so deep. It is so established because I know God. I know who he is. I believe that he will do what he said he, he will do in my life. And as you bless the Lord in times of worship, public worship, uh, corporate worship, and private worship, it will become second nature to you to bless the Lord even when life is hard. And so, God, we're, we're praying that we would be able to experience that this week. We pray that we would experience your goodness. It wouldn't just be an idea, but it would be something that we experience this week. And so, God, give us the mind and the will to bless you when times are hard and when times are easy. God, we want our, our minds to be renewed. And we want to learn uh, to relate to you in ways that are healing and nourishing, ways that bring you delight. And so lead us now. We pray that you would keep the enemy of our souls from distracting us and dissuading us. God, we want to, we want to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.